0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Need groceries? There in 10 minutes. Or at least that was the promise. Yes, this week on Download This Show, the Australian startup that promised the impossible all while paying its drivers as employees, staff instead of contractors like Uber does. So, why did it all implode and who is going to save them? Plus, why launching a bid for the US presidency on Twitter can be fraught, why Google has been ordered by the courts to pay out a big wad of cash, and can you guess which controversial social media service is launching their own artificial intelligence buddy? Let's find out. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Finnell, and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Geez, I'm perky. That's way perkier than I normally am. <laughs> this is what happens when you have the large coffee, not the small coffee. A big welcome to our guest this week, Seamus Byrne, the reigning overlord of bite and technology journalist extraordinaire. Welcome back to Download This Show.
2: Nice to be back. Good to chat.
1: And we have from the AAP reporter, also extraordinaire, like we're not limiting the extraordinariness around here, Jen Dudley-Nicholson, welcome
0: back to Download the Show. It is extraordinary to be here, thank you.
1: You only invite extraordinaires. (laughs) It's true, which makes it even weirder that they let me host the show because I am deeply (laughs) mediocre on a number of levels, but hyper and happy. So what happened to Milk Run? Jen, uh, Milk Run was this very hyped, hyper-local app that existed in one particular corner of Australia, got lots of attention. Then what happened to it?
0: Nothing good, Mark. Nothing good happened to it. So as you say, it was a really great idea. And and, and that's where Milk Run lived. It was this really great concept. And, and it got a lot of loyal followers because of this. So essentially the idea behind it was that it was a startup. It was created in Sydney in 2021. And it was this idea that if you needed groceries, you could order from kind of a limited range of groceries and you could have it delivered to your home in 10 minutes for about three bucks, which is is basically the dream for really disorganized people like myself. So it was operating in Sydney and Melbourne. It raised $88 million because it was just such a popular concept and it also differentiated itself in an important way. So rather than like all of the other companies involved in in sort of delivering things quickly, it didn't use contract workers. It didn't rely on the gig economy. It um, actually had salaried workers and I believe it even provided its own fancy blue bikes. Problem is people cost money and things cost money and they were running out of money. So the story then ended badly in February when you know basically they said look we've tried redundancies we've tried cutting back on costs but ultimately this model doesn't work and and we're going to have to shut up shop and then voila 2 months later we see that Milkrun is apparently alive again, but it has a different owner and maybe it's just the name and the branding that's actually come back. But it now has TikTok ads saying that, no, definitely it's not game over. It's it's actually, it's it's rebooting. We're respawning and we're starting again. It's just that the concept has been sold and the branding um, have been sold to Woolworths for several million dollars potentially.
1: Leading to the excellent, probably my favourite headline of the week, and a big credit to to Tegan Jones, a good friend of the show over at Smart Company. The headline is Woolies in sheep's Clothing, why the new Milk Run is just startup cosplay. Incredible work. So what actually is the relationship between this, you know, this very specky app, Milk Run, and Woolies we'll at the moment, Seamus?
2: Yeah, so essentially Woolworths, they were already kind of trying to do their own little kind of speedy delivery app called Metro 60. You know, it was, I guess, working. It didn't have, you know, it didn't have that kind of cool, fun startup vibe that something like Milk Run had. It had you know, different fees, different structures, even, you know, using contract workers rather than salaried workers, things like that. And what's basically happened is that uh, Woolworths has just bought out sort of the branding and the, you know, just that kind of background side of things. I think Tegan's report does say that they're talking about maybe it was around ten million bucks that they paid, which probably helped Milk Run clean up a lot of those you know, outstanding debts and things to, to tie off the loose ends as a startup. But that's really it, that when you kind of dig into it, it really is that Metro 60 is now Milk Run. And this is their opportunity to take on a brand that people know in that category, as much as they might be changing a few of the ways in which it works. Things like the 10 minute delivery idea is gone. It's now really is just essentially the idea of saying, well, you can kind of have something that is a little bit more targeted than, or yeah, faster and simpler than saying, I want to order a whole, you know, Woolworth's well, grocery delivery. But at the same time, it's not sort of as you know, super clever as the way Milkrum was trying to run things.
1: One of the things I'm fascinated by is like, obviously Uber have done groceries deliveries and, and do food deliveries. How different is what we're talking about here from that gen like is it is it essentially the same thing
0: yeah. So, so this one, I mean, it, it's slightly different and it is kind of a dedicated app and they're saying that you can get your delivery from the new Milk Run, which is actually, as Seamus said, Metro 60, which is actually Woolworth. So that gets very confusing. So you can you can get your delivery within 60 minutes and they're saying the average is about 33 minutes. So it's not like you have to plan for the next day and, yeah. and it's not like you have to pay a, a big fee as you do with Uber because they're saying it's a flat $5 fee delivery. And so it's still quite convenient, but that. 60 minutes is not 10 minutes. And also this does rely on the gig worker economy. There are some benefits, however, I should point out to having Woolies take over for some people. So there'll be a bigger range available because obviously they've got a lot more inventory at their their command. And it's also available in a lot more places. milk run number one only ran in Sydney and Melbourne, whereas this one will run actually in Brisbane where I am and in 500 suburbs. So this is suburban milk run, I suppose, and is a a really quick way of scaling this entire business. However, the entire business is no longer involved.
1: Milk runs reach even in Sydney and, and Melbourne wasn't actually that big either, to be honest, Seamus. Was it?
2: It's funny, I I mean, the first times I've ever seen advertisements for Milk Run, being someone who lives in the Southern Highlands, has been through this relaunch (laughs) because I haven't checked, but it might be, you know, they've got a local Woolies, so there might be much more of that aspect of what's a radius around, you know, various Woolworths that they could actually connect in with. So, yeah, when you think about the 60 minutes delivery, right, like how serious do you have to be about this random thing that you needed you know, delivered to you that you know, it's terrible that it won't turn up in in 15 minutes. It's only going to be there in 33 minutes. You know? I mean the big issue on the timing of course comes back to the fact that free money dried up over the last 12 months. Uh, and so that idea of it's not just a question of being able to go to a bank and loan money, but the venture capital funds also you know had to be a lot more careful about where they were, investing their money and, you know, those rounds upon rounds of funding that kind of often go into startups to kind of keep it moving and keep it scaling. That just wasn't there anymore. And so for things like this, you know, needing to quite quickly shift business model to stay afloat was difficult, whereas Woolworths has that kind of major company backing and the experience in the logistics of this kind of stuff that means they could probably make something
1: work. One thing that I think is actually the most important thing to discuss with the Milk Run case is actually the implications for the gig economy, right? So we've been talking a lot, uh, and not just us, I think the, the, entire, the entire tech world really has been talking about whether the gig economy is the right thing to do by workers. Here we had a startup that was doing it really differently. They were putting people on salary, which is what a lot of people have been asking for. Company that puts people on salary dies. So what does that say about whether or not putting people on salary is actually feasible for apps and services like this, Jen?
0: It does not say good things. I think it's a really big blow because this was a company who made a point of doing something different and putting people on salary and making sure they had appropriate benefits and what have you and it didn't work out. And then when they've sold their brand, they've, they've actually not insisted that, that you know the next company do this as well. So it's all being sort of filled by contract staff now, which is perpetuating the gig economy. Australia is, however, um, getting closer to that point where we see actual reform in, in this sphere because I think, um, as we've talked about before with Uber, you know, they're potentially facing changes to IR laws uh, that are going to be pushed through in the second half of the year. And just yesterday I noticed that they've already started advertising about this and and there are these ads that pop up that you might not necessarily pick them at the start. They say things like, you know, Uber workers um, have earned a heap of money by working flexibly with the keyword being flexible flexibly, which is actually sort of a word for without the benefits of superannuation and guaranteed working hours and those sorts of things, which you do get with some gig economy workers in some countries, but for the most part, no. So look, having, having milk run crash like this was very disappointing for that particular reason. And I think that it'll be interesting to see what comes out of these reforms as to whether that can be addressed.
1: What do you think it says about the future of the gig economy and and this push to put people on salaries, Seamus?
2: Yeah, like there's always you know so many factors at play that I think it's it's going to happen that people are going to look at a situation like this and think, well, see, you know, salaried stuff doesn't work for clever startup delivery services, but there can be a lot of different aspects to you know the way in which that they were doing their maths behind the scenes that. Yeah, you know, like I was sort of saying earlier, maybe people would have worn a little bit more on the fee or a little bit more of a delay that might have meant they could have, you know, less staff delivering on a slightly longer turnaround. There's sort of a lot of those different elements that, you know, and they they clearly just ran out of time to test a number of alternative ways of going forward. And so, you know, is there a version of Milkrun that could have maintained salaried staff and used the fact that they built a really great brand to just alter what they did and maybe even you know, promote some of those positive aspects of how they were running their company to try to maintain a relationship with people who'd fallen in love with them because they were so fast and cheap.
1: Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Mark Fidel is my name. Our guest this week, Seamus Byrne from ByteSide and from AAP, Jen Dudley-Nicholson. And Jen, it seems like there isn't a technology service on the planet that hasn't brought out their own little AI buddy that you can chat with and answer questions. We know Snapchat did it recently. Of course, we've been talking a lot about services like ChatGPT and Google's Bard. But now TikTok has entered the fray. They're bringing in their own little AI. What's what's it going to be?
0: I just think it's really interesting that, that TikTok has gone, you know what? Regulators around the world are having a really close look at me. Do you know what I should do? I should just <laughs> bring on a down, robot, <laughs> do something just totally not controversial and put a, an artificially intelligent robot on my service. I think that will make everyone feel better. So kudos to their bravery on that one.
1: Maybe it shows how much <laughs> they don't care about regulators actually now that think about it.
0: It does feel like a very AI middle finger. So essentially what we're seeing um, with, with TikTok's use of AI, at least in in this guise, is that they're going to reform their search function. And so they already have arguably the, the best and most powerful algorithm um, when it comes to, to social media. And the idea behind Taco is that they're going to combine some of that the smarts of their algorithm and your personal information with the search function. So potentially, when you search for something in the little right-hand corner of TikTok, it will come up with not only just kind of answers, but suggestions for other videos that you can you could have a look at. And they actually said that it should, it will feature hyper targeted responses, which feels like again those regulators are going to love love the details of that right down we'll to have the core. Love a court.
2: good bit of hyper targeting.
0: Like if you've been on TikTok recently, for example, and you've once watched like a a video about a blue couch, you will know how powerful that algorithm is. And all of a sudden it will be blue couch videos forever. Sorry,
1: I'm in a neat context because like clearly my algorithm is serving up different things to you. What's the blue couch story?
0: It's such a saga. So there's a woman in New York. Am I, I going to regret
1: asking a follow-up question? <laughs> <possibly. laughs>
0: okay. It's probably going to show up on your feed now. So there's a woman in New York who saw what she assumed to be a very expensive blue couch on the sidewalk, and she said she rescued it, she took it home, she cleaned it, and she put it in her apartment. And so you'd think, oh, okay, good news story. But this has spiralled out of control to conspiracies around, was the blue couch only out there for 10 minutes and she actually stole it? How long did she have the blue couch? How much did she clean the blue couch? Was it actually an expensive one? Was it a dupe from Alibaba? And it's just, it's out of control. It's now the Harry Styles of couches and it's all over TikTok. (laughs) And I would recommend that if you get access to this this AI feature, do not search for the blue couch because it is all you will see. (laughs) I
1: said this last week. I'm going to say it again. TikTok drama is the dumbest of the dramas. (laughs) Like of all of the different, you know, uh, social media platforms where people get into like you know, internet punch-ons, I am firmly of the view that people's arguments on TikTok are the least consequential and the dumbest. This is the hill I'm going to die on, Seamus.
2: What I really like about this idea is I want to be able to say to this little search AI, precisely the thing that Jen's just talking about there, which is saying, enough blue couch. Please take that out of my algorithm because that is the classic issue of TikTok is that you do get into these weird rabbit holes of content because you kind of just lingered slightly too long on one video that scrolled past and it's gone, oh, you pause there for three seconds. And like it puts you into this fear state where you're you're never trying to stop on anything for more than half a second. You know, if you're worried about going, oh, I don't want to see more of that particular thing that it might have shown me. Even if you go, oh, that looked vaguely interesting. Oh, but not interesting enough that I want to see five more of that in the next. I three don't minutes. need to see,
1: like, and I'm just gonna put this my phone up to my the microphone here. I don't need to see any more pediatry corn removal videos. <laughs> oh no. Or <laughs> sweary irish fitness influencers i'm good <laughs> thank you tiktok i'm good thank you okay so let's just like i'm gonna draw a line under the blue couch uh but i do want to talk about what are the sorts of things where an ai and i guess i'm comparing it to the one that exists on snapchat are there areas in which you think it could be useful um because we know it's going to attract attention they've already as you said there's already eyes on tiktok with regulators around the world just from a consumer standpoint though are there things that you think jen it could be useful for
0: well, it could be useful at surfacing the right kind of content because as as much as AI is often incredibly creepy, sometimes it's creepy useful. <laughs> so it, potentially, and that, that's it's a fine line. Very and, fine And line. it's hard to know when you've stepped over it. Um, but if you're looking for, just say you actually want to buy a green couch, for example. And Why you want would you
1: bring up the couch again? <laughs> Why would you do this? <laughs> <laughs> she example. wants a green couch.
0: <laughs> so, so if you were looking for something specific, like a green couch, potentially you could find a specific green couch by doing a certain type of search and the AI would actually help you refine your search so it could actually find the right kind of thing and it could know what you were talking about. So that's where something like this could potentially be useful. Where it's not useful is just the insane amount of information and data it will have on you in addition to all it knows about you already.
1: Are there things that you would like the uh, incoming TikTok AI to definitely not do,
2: Seamus. Yeah, look, I don't need it to be another chatbot in the way that, you know, I think Snapchat's AI sort of chatbot made a little bit more sense in that it's a kind of space where you are chatting with friends and adding essentially another, you know, person in your list of contacts that you can kind of tap and ask questions to and chat with whatever kind of thing you wanted to do, that makes sense. In TikTok, you are here to watch videos. I don't need this to try to, you know, be the the clippy of TikTok and kind of go, hey, you, do you want to just have a chat while you're sitting here? It's like, no, actually, I just want to chill out in front of some
1: random videos. For you, Jen, are there things you, you would highly advise the overlords of TikTok to not do with this AI?
0: I want to mention the blue couch. But um no Why? Why do you hate me? <laughs> I think I think Seamus raises a good point. I don't want this to become kind of a, an all in sort of feature platform. Like it seems like all of all of the platforms seem to want to hit all of the same things and copy off each other. And I don't want this to become a thing where, you know, I need to to talk to the, the TikTok um AI to, you know, organize my day or to message other people. Not everything needs to be a messaging platform. And it would be nice if you could actually ask it to, you know, to calm down on certain topics because I was in a Harry Styles loop for a long period of time against my will. There's only uh, so much Harry Styles I can take, as, mu- as nice as he is. So if you could ask it to kind of reset things or calm down on things, that would actually be an improvement as opposed to just becoming another messaging platform.
1: In case you're wondering why we've been having this conversation, I've been attempting to have a conversation with the Snapchat AI and I asked it, are you Clippy? which he did not know what Microsoft Clippy was. So, short version is, it's useless. Download the show as what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, culture, and Mark occasionally talking to robots and hoping for a meaningful response. Now, it was a really bad news week, I guess, for, well, the combination of uh, Ron DeSantis, presidential hopeful in the US, and the platform of Twitter, Seamus. What happened?
2: For some reason, and, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it, but Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and essentially uh, probably number two in the Republican uh, running stakes against uh, Trump when it comes to trying to get the Republican nomination for next year's uh, presidential race in the US. He decided that he would formally announce his presidential campaign on a Twitter Spaces Uh, alongside Elon Musk, a very uh, impartial interview with Elon Musk and another friend of Elon Musk's who's helping to run Twitter these days, uh, David Sachs, who is apparently a significant Republican donor as well. They decided to have a big fancy launch on Twitter spaces and it essentially within seconds was having its first crashes and over the course of about 20 minutes or so managed to uh, crash multiple times, have terrible audio quality and uh, generally fail at the idea of, I mean, we technically know that Ron DeSantis has launched his presidential campaign. Did it feel like uh, an elaborate epic event in the way that people would usually try to make these things feel? Not at
1: all. Who is his worst for, Jen? Twitter or Ron DeSantis?
0: Yes, it's just it's bad it's bad for everyone Everyone (laughs) it was not a yes or no question (laughs) (laughs) i mean i feel bad for Ron DeSantis, florida man because he was talked into doing something that was very silly and honestly it, he would have had a better reaction if he had announced his candidacy in a tweet because then at least it wouldn't have crashed the entire platform. Yeah. It looks terribly bad for Elon Musk who just during the same week was explaining to other business leaders why they should do what he did and absolutely gut their staff and it would have no bad consequences. He's taken out about 80% of the workforce of Twitter and insists that it will run the same. It was It's embarrassing. Like it's a bad week for announcing your candidacy on Twitter but it's a great week for Schadenfreude. It was bad.
1: Has there been any kind of ramifications for Twitter? Like, obviously, Rhonda Sanders, you know, the US presidential election is going to be this big thing that's going to dominate news forever. But the the interaction between him and Twitter is, I guess, the thing I find most interesting here because why would... What is it about Twitter as a platform that he was looking for, Seamus?
2: Yeah, if we try to find what's the positive version of the story on why he chose it, because I absolutely agree that he was advised really badly to try to use Twitter as the place to make this announcement. But I think it is that, you know, that the new version of Twitter has become a very friendly to the you know Republican right wing side of American politics. And therefore, it's a space that has an audience of people who are really into a lot of these kinds of themes at the moment. And alongside that, it's also a media space that Trump is not currently participating in most of the reports suggest he's still contractually obligated to stay only on truth social and not to go back to Twitter which is the main reason why he hasn't come back even though his ban was lifted and that potentially gives him you know an interesting opportunity to leverage the space where Trump really did sort of build his following in a lot of respects and you know used it as a way to you know command the attention of the wider media world that he was maybe hoping that that would be something he'd be able to do by launching through this and trying to, yeah, get into that territory before you know, knowing that, yeah, Trump's not around there.
1: What do you think it says about Twitter that Ron DeSantis wanted to do this launch on that platform? Like, what, what is it that Twitter is offering a person like Ron DeSantis?
0: I think that what Elon Musk is trying to do with Twitter is is make it sort of... I mean, he, he calls himself a free speech absolutist, and I think we've seen evidence to the contrary. But I think what he's trying to do it, is, is make it um, more appealing to right-wing politicians, particularly American right-wing politicians. And so, obviously, uh, the 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 OG Twitter had a lot of success with getting Trump on the platform and getting him to say the most outrageous things, I'm assuming, from his bathroom in the morning when he wasn't quite thinking right.
1: It's the getting to him to do part that I'm confused about. It feels like he would have done that anyway. It just provided him an outlet. But that's just my take.
0: Well, yeah. and a, a really big outlet, though. And it, mm. it, it actually worked really well for, for Twitter as well because... So much of what Trump said during his presidency on Twitter made the news for good and for bad and for, for absolutely maniacal. I, I don't really know if, if Ron DeSantis is going to be able to do the same thing as that. He, I don't know if he has the personality and, and the will to kind of continually tweet really amazing things, and I'm not really sure if Twitter Spaces is even the right platform for that because I'm not sure that audio took off on social media the way that some people thought it was going to.
2: I totally agree as well that, you know, Trump uh, knew how to use Twitter for tossing off snarky, small, bite-sized ideas, and then he would go and hold the big rallies on television to command that for the big announcements. So I think, yeah, even if Trump was currently on Twitter,
1: I don't think he would be using Twitter spaces at all. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And finally on the show, uh, you may be familiar with Sonos. It is the, the the kind of the network speaker system that lots of people have in their houses. And for some reason, Google's paying them a bunch of money, Jen. Why?
0: Because they've been told to. Um, so this is all part of a very ugly, very scrappy and almost very boring battle at the same time that's sort of playing out in through the American legal system. So essentially there have been accusations from both sides of both Sonos and Google. They used to be friends and they used to team up on smart speakers and and, um, their smart assistants as well. Um, And then at one point they broke up and then both sides accused one another of infringing each other's patents. Um, And now we've seen a jury has found that Google did infringe on one of six patents that Sonos had alleged that it had stolen and and used without payment. And so it's got to pay, I think it's $2.30 for for every speaker that it sold with that particular technology in it. But the whole thing is ugly. Um, Sonos issued a press release saying, well, this proves that Google is a serial infringer. Google said one out of six doesn't make us a serial infringer, which they have on the maths at least. And the judge actually said, that the whole case was emblematic of the worst patent litigation, which is not something that you put in your pool room. That's that's a terrible <laughs> indictment. They, he actually checked, apparently, the judge checked at one point, if the jury was still awake, because <laughs> the patent <laughs> law arguments were just so technical and so very dull. Um, so yes, Google does have to pace on us. I'm assuming that this is not the end of it, because they both seem very um, angry at one another
1: is it weird how this has gotten so heated, Seamus it feels like of the various different lawsuits that the tech industry could absorb itself with this one feels like a a weird one to get so um fired up about yeah look i think there's a
2: quite a few cases where a smaller company like a sonos uh creates kind of an environment where they want to try to partner up with with one of the big players um, or, you know, potentially all of the big players. And so they'll go in and do kind of, you know, NDA briefings, show them how their stuff works, try to create that window of, of opportunity for kind of tech sharing. And it's this kind of situation where then, you know, someone that they thought they were partnering with then goes, actually yeah you know those ideas are great but now we've gone and independently created our version of that specific idea you know and again in this case it can be the super granular side of how the tech works Uh, but it creates that kind of huge rift because Sonos was certainly I think you know the first company that I knew for a long time that did multi-room streaming audio tech in a really seamless way. So they'd clearly devised some really clever wireless, you know, connective technology for audio that meant they were ahead of the game. And so as other people started to catch up and create similar tech, there was probably a lot of fear from them that, you know, are people just using exactly the same processes or not? And so often, these patents really are essentially nuclear arsenals that companies hold so that they all sort of agree to play nice. Because if anybody takes anybody else to court, then they point their weapons at each other and go to town. And this is, you know, Google did also counter sue Sonos about infringement. So this is totally one of those situations where one side's decided no, this has gone too far. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. We're going to court. And then the other side sort of starts firing back and it, you know, it happens now and then, uh, you know, we've seen it with Samsung and Apple in the past and different kinds of, you know, infringement cases. But this is certainly one where, you know, it's it's publicly playing out with the kinds of statements we're seeing where there's definitely real, uh, you know, uh, anger attached to to both sides and how they're feeling about it.
0: I just wanted to point out that when I launch my candidacy for Prime Minister of Australia, I'm going to do so on MySpace.
1: (laughs) And I look forward to seeing how that goes. Uh, And with that, we are out of time. Huge thank you to our guests this week. Seamus Byrne from BiteSide, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, good to be back. And Jen Dudley-Nicholson from the AAP, thank you so much. Still extraordinary, thank you. You are both extraordinary. And with that, I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fidel, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.